Chapter Six of Muslin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Muslin by George Moore. Chapter Six. Arthur, who rarely dined out, handed the ladies into the carriage. Mrs. Barton was beautifully dressed in black satin. Olive was lost in a mass of teal. Alice wore a black silk trimmed with pasmantry and red ribbons. Behind the Clare Mountains the pale transitory colors of the hour faded, and the women, their bodies and their thoughts swayed together by the motion of the vehicle, listened to the irritating barking of the cottage dog. Surly a peasant, returning from his work, his frieze coat swung over one shoulder, stepped aside. A bare-legged woman, surrounded by her half-naked children, leaving the potato she was peeling in front of her door, gazed like her husband, after the rolling vision of elegance that went by her, and her obtuse brain probably summed up the implacable decrees of destiny in the phrase, "'Sure, there must be a gathering at the big house this evening.' "'But tell me, Mama," said Olive, after a long silence, "'how much champagne I ought to drink at dinner.' "'You know, it's a long time since I have tasted it. "'Indeed, I don't remember that I ever did taste it.' "'Mrs. Barton laughed softly. "'Well, my dear, I don't think that two glasses could do you any harm, "'but I would not advise you to drink any more. "'And what shall I say to the man who takes me down to dinner? "'Shall I have to begin the conversation, or will he?' "'He will be sure to say something. "'You need not trouble yourself about that.' I think we shall meet some nice men tonight. Captain Hibbert will be there. He is very handsome and well-connected. I hope he will take you down. Then there will be the Honorable Mr. Burke. He is a nice little man, but there is not much in him, and he hasn't a penny. His brother is Lord Kilcarney, a confirmed bachelor. Then there will be Mr. Adair. He is very well off. He has at least four thousand a year in the country, but it would seem that he doesn't care for women. He is very clever. He writes pamphlets. He used to sympathize with the Land League, but the outrages went against his conscience. You never know what he really does think. He admires Gladstone, and Gladstone says he can't do without him. They had now passed the lodge gates and were driving through the park. Herds of fallow deer moved away, but the broad buff forms of the red deer gazed steadfastly as lions from the crest of a hill. "'Did you ever meet Lady Dungaree, Mama? asked Alice. "'Is she dead?' "'No, dear, she is not dead, but it would be better, perhaps, if she were. She behaved very badly. Lord Dungaree had to get a separation. No one ever speaks of her now. Mind, you are warned.' At this moment the carriage stopped before a modern house, built between two massive Irish towers entirely covered with huge ivy. "'I am afraid we are a little late,' said Mrs. Barton to the servant, as he relieved them of their sorties de ball. Eight o'clock has just struck, ma'am.' "'The two old things will make faces at us, I know,' murmured Mrs. Barton, as she ascended the steps. On either side there were cases of stuffed birds.' A fox lay in wait for a pheasant on the right, an otter devoured a trout on the left. These attested to the sporting tastes of a former generation. 
the white marble statues of nymphs sleeping in the shadows of the different landings and the oriental draperies with which each cabinet was hung suggested the dilettantism of the present owner mrs barton walked in front the girls drew together like birds they were amazed at the stateliness of the library and they marvelled at the richness of the chandeliers and the curiously assorted pictures the company was assembled in a small room at the end of the suite two tall bony high-nosed women advanced and shook hands menacingly with mrs barton they were dressed alike in beautiful gowns of gold-brown plush with a cutting stare and a few cold conventional words they welcomed olive and alice home to the country again lord dungary whispered something to mrs barton olive passed across the room the black coats gave way and as the white rose in a blood-coloured glass her shoulders rose out of the red teal captain hibbert twisted his brown gold moustache and with the critical gaze of the connoisseur examined the undulating lines of the arms the delicate waist and the sloping hips her skirt seemed to fall before his looks immediately after the roaring of a gong was heard and the form of the stately butler was seen approaching lord dungary and lady jane exchanged looks the former offered his arm to mrs gould the latter her finger on her lips in a moment expressive of profound meditation said mr ryan will you take down mrs barton mr scully will you take miss olive barton mr adair will you take miss gould mr lynch will you take miss alice barton mr burke will you take my sister then smiling at the thought that she had checkmated her father who had ordered that olive barton should go down with captain hibbert she took captain hibbert's arm and followed the dinner party about the marble statues and stuffed birds on the staircase flowed a murmur of amiability and during a pause skirts were settled amid the chairs which the powdered footman drew back ceremoniously to make way for the guest to pass a copy of murillo's madonna presenting the divine child to st joseph hung over the fireplace between the windows another madonna stood on a half moon and when lord dungary said for what are we going to receive the lord make us truly thankful these pictures helped the company to realize a suitable although momentary emotion turtle soup was handed round the soft steaming fragrance mixed with the fresh perfume of the roses that bloomed in a silver vase beneath the light of the red shaded wax candles a tree covered with azaleas spread notes of delicate colour over the gold screen that hid the door by which the servants came and went oh lady sarah exclaimed mrs gould i do not know how you have such beautiful flowers and in this wretched climate yes it is very trying but then we have a great deal of glass which do you prefer roses or azaleas asked mrs barton les roses sont les fleurs en corsage mais les azaleas sont les fleurs en peignoir lady sarah and lady jane who had both overheard the remark levelled indignant glances at their father scornful looks at mrs barton and to avoid any further amatory allusions lady sarah said 
i do not think we shall soon have bread much less flowers to place on our tables if the government do not step in and put down the revolution that is going on in this country every one except the young girls look questioningly at each other and the mutuality of their interests on this point became at once apparent ah lord dungary do you think we shall be able to collect our rents this year what reduction do you intend to give lord dungory who had no intention of showing his hand said the land league has i believe advised the people to pay no more than griffith's valuation i do not know if your lands are let very much above it if you have not seen the evening mail you have probably not heard of the last terrible outrage said captain hibbert and amid a profound silence he continued i do not know if anybody here is acquainted with a mr mcnamara he lives in myth oh you do not say anything has happened to him i knew his cousin exclaimed mrs gould captain hibbert looked round with his bland good-looking stare and as no nearer relative appeared to be present he resumed his story he was it seems sitting smoking after dinner when suddenly two shots were fired through the windows at this moment a champagne cork slipped through the butler's fingers and went off with a bang oh goodness me what's that exclaimed mrs gould and to pass off their own fears every one was glad to laugh at the old lady it was not until captain hibbert told that mr mcnamara had been so severely wounded that his life was despaired of that the chewing faces became grave again and i hear that mcnamara had the finest horses in maith said mr ryan i very nearly sold him one last year at the horse show mr ryan was the laughing-stock of the country and a list of the grotesque sayings he was supposed on different occasions to have been guilty of was constantly in progress of development he lived with his cousin mr lynch and in conjunction they farmed large tracts of land mr ryan was short and thick mr lynch was taller and larger and a pair of mutton-chop whiskers made his bloated face look bigger still on either side of the white tablecloth their dirty hands fumbled at their shirt-studs that constantly threatened to fall through the worn buttonholes they were nevertheless received everywhere and pathry as mr ryan was called by his friends was permitted the licenses that are generally granted to the buffoon ar he said i wouldn't mind the league being hard on them who lives out of the country spending their cash on liquor and theatres in london but what can they have agin us who stops at home minding our properties and riding our horses this criticism of justice as administered by the league did not however seem to meet with the entire approval of those present mr adair looked grave he evidently thought it was based on a superficial notion of political economy mr burke a very young man with a tiny red moustache and a curious habit of wriggling his long weak neck feeling his amusements were being unfairly attacked broke the silence he had till then preserved and said i haven't an acre of land in the world but if my brother chooses to live in london i don't see why he should be deprived of his rents for my part i like the gaiety theatre and so does my brother have you seen the forty thieves lady jane 
Capital piece. I saw it twenty times. I think that Pathry, me cousin, means to say, said Mr. Lynch, declining the venison the servant offered him, is that there are many in the country who don't deserve much consideration. I am alluding to those who acquired their property in the land courts, and the Cromwellians, and the, I mean the rack renters. The sudden remembrance that Lord Dungary dated from the time of James so upset Mr. Lynch that he called back the servant and accepted the venison, which he failed, however, to eat. "'I do not see,' said Lord Dungary, with an air of a man whose words were conclusive, why we should go back to the time of Cromwell to discuss the rights of property rather than to that of the early kings of Ireland. If there is to be a returning— why not at once put in a claim on the part of the Irish elk? No, there must be finality in human affairs. And on this phrase the conversation came to a pause. But if the opinions of those present were not in accord concerning the rights of property, their tastes in conversation certainly differed as widely. Olive's white face twitched from time to time with nervous annoyance. Alice looked up in a sort of mild despair as she strove to answer Mr. Lynch's questions. May had fallen into a state of morose lassitude. If Mr. Adair would only cease to explain to her how successfully he had employed concrete in the construction of his farm buildings. She felt that if he started again on a new sawmill she must faint, and Olive's senses too were swimming. But just as she thought she was going off, Captain Hibbert looked so admiringly at her that she recovered herself, and at the same time Mr. Scully succeeded in making May understand that he would infinitely prefer to be near her than Lady Sarah. In return for this expression of feeling, the young lady determined to risk a remark across the table, but she was cut short by Mrs. Gould, who pithily summed up the political situation in the words, the way i look at it is like this will the government help us to get our rents or will it not mr forrester's act does not seem to be able to do that there's may there who has been talking all the morning of castle seasons and london seasons and i don't know what really i don't see how it is to be done if the land league and mr parnell's a gentleman too i wonder how he can ally himself with such black guards gently insinuated mrs barton who saw a husband lost in the politician but the difficulty the government finds themselves in is that the land league is apparently a legal organization said lord dungary in the midst of a profound silence a society legal that exists and holds its power through an organized system of outrage mind you as i have always said the landlords have brought all their misfortunes upon themselves they have often behaved disgracefully. But I would, nevertheless, put down the outrages. Yes, I would put down the outrages at any cost. And what would you do? asked Mr. Ryan. Do you know the herds are being coarse now? We'd get on well enough were it not for that. In the beginning of this year, Mr. Forrester asked Parliament for special powers. How has he used those powers? Without trial, five hundred people have been thrown into prison, and each fresh arrest is answered by fresh outrage. And when the warrant is issued, and I suppose it will be issued sooner or later, for the arrest of Mr. Parnell, 
I should not be surprised to hear of a general strike being made against rent. The consequences of such an event will be terrific, but let these consequences, I say, rest on Mr. Forrester's head. I shall have no word of pity for him. His government is a disgrace to liberalism, and I fear he has done much to prejudice our ideal in the eyes of the world. Lord Dungary and Lady Jane exchanged smiles, and poor crotchety Mr. Adair leaned forward his large, bald brow, obscured by many obscure ideals. After a pause he continued, But I was speaking of Flanders. From the time of Charles V the most severe laws were enacted to put down the outrages, but there was an undercurrent of sympathy with the outrage monger which kept the system alive until 1840. Then the government took the matter in hand, and treated outrage mongering as what it is, an act of war, and quartered troops on the inhabitants and stamped the disease out in a few years. Of course I could not, and would not, advocate for the employment of such drastic measures in Ireland, but I would put down the outrages with a firm hand, and I would render them impossible in the future by the creation of peasant proprietors. Then, amid the juicy odors of cut pineapple, and the tepid flavors of burgundy, Mr. Adair warmed to his subject, and proceeded to explain that absolute property did not exist in land in Ireland before 1600, and, illustrating his arguments with quotations from Arthur Young, he spoke of the plantation of Ulster, the leases of the 18th century, the Protestants in the north, the employment of labor, until at last inebriated with theory, he asked the company what was the end of government. This was too much, and seeing the weary faces about him, Lord Dungary determined to change the subject of conversation. The end of government, he said. I am afraid that you would get many different answers to that question. Ask these young ladies. They will tell you, probably, that it is to have this boema et déje usus amor, and I am not sure that they are not right. Mrs. Barton's coaxing laugh was heard, and then reference was made to the detachment of the Connaught Rangers stationed at Galway, and the possibility of their giving a dance was eagerly discussed. Mr. Ryan had a word to say anent the hunting prospect, and, when May Gould declared she was going to ride straight and not miss a meet, she completed the conquest of Mr. Scully, and encouraging glances were exchanged between them until Lady Sarah looked inquiringly round the table. Then she pushed back her chair. All rose, and a moment after, through the twilight of the drawing-room, color and nudity were scattered in picturesque confusion. Every mind was occupied by one thought. How the pleasure of the dinner-party had been spoiled by that horrible land-league discussion. All wondered who had introduced the subject, and the blame was fixed upon Mr. Adair. Mrs. Gould, in her homely way, came to the point at once. People say he is so clever, but I am sure I can't see it. He has spent a fortune in building farmyards in concrete, and a sawmill, I hear, costs him twenty pounds a month dead loss, and he is always writing letters to the papers. I can never think much of a man who writes to the papers. A most superior man, said Lady Sarah, who, notwithstanding her thirty-five years, had not entirely given up hope. 
he took honours at trinity then mr burke and lord kilcarney were spoken of and some new anecdotes were told of mr ryan the famous one how he had asked a lady to show him her docket at the galway ball when she told him that she was engaged for all the dances excited as it never failed to do a good deal of laughter mrs barton did not however join in the conversation she knew if she did that the ladies colin would be as rude as the absence of milford and the fact that she was a guest in their house would allow them to be mrs barton's mind was now occupied with one thought and leaning back in her chair she yielded herself entirely to it although the dinner-party had been spoiled by mr adair's uncontrollable desire to impart information she had nevertheless noticed that captain hibbert had very much been struck with olive's beauty she was aware that her daughter was a beautiful girl but whether men would want to marry her mrs barton did not know captain hibbert's conduct would help her to arrive at a decision she certainly dreamed of a title for olive lord kilcarney was alas not to be thought of ah if mr burke were only lord kilcarney but he was not however captain hibbert would be a fairly good match he was of excellent family had two thousand a year and a place in the country and in england too why snatch up the very first fish that came by there was no saying whom they would meet at the castle still to encourage a flirtation could be no harm if they met anything better it could be broken off if they did not it would be a very nice match indeed besides there was no denying that olive was a little too naive in her manner captain hibbert's society would brush that off and olive would go up to the castle with the reputation of having made a conquest such were mrs barton's thoughts as she sat her hands laid like china ornaments on her lap her feet were tucked under the black pleated skirt and she sometimes raised her grues like eyes and looked at her daughter the girls were grouped round a small table on which stood a feather-shaded lamp in clear voices and clear laughs they were talking of each other's dresses may had just stood up to show off her skirt she was a superb specimen of a fat girl and in a glow of orange ribbons and red hair she commanded admiration and to think she is going to waste her time with that dissipated young man mr scully thought mrs barton then olive stood up she was all rose and when laughing with a delicious movement of the arms she hitched back her bustle she lost her original air and looked as might have done the fornarina when not sitting in immortality it was the battle of blonde tints olive with primroses and corn may with a cadmium yellow and red gold and now alice get up and let's see you she cried catching hold of her sister's arm still resisting alice rose to her feet and may who was full of good nature made some judicious observations and how different we all look from what we did at the convent do you remember our white frocks alice's face lit up with a sudden remembrance and she said but why lady sarah haven't we seen cecilia i've been thinking of her during dinner i hope she is not ill oh dear me no 
but poor cecilia does not care to come down when there is company but can i not see her oh certainly you will find her in her room but you do not know the way i will ring for my maid she will show you at this moment men's voices were heard on the staircase the ladies all looked up the light defining the corner of a forehead the outline of a nose and chin bathing a neck in warm shadow modeling a shoulder with gray tints sending a thousand rays flashing through the diamonds on the bosom touching the finger rings and lastly dying away amid the folds of the dresses that trailed on the soft carpet mr ryan walking with his habitual roll and his hands in his pockets entered his tie was under his left ear mr lynch haunted by the idea that he had not made himself agreeable to alice during dinner sat down beside her mr scully made a rush for may tall handsome captain hibbert with his air of conventional high style quitted lord dungary and asked olive what they had been saying since they left the dining-room mr burke tried to join in the conversation but mr ryan thinking it would be as well not to let the occasion slip of speaking of a certain bay hoss who jumped anything took him confidentially by the sleeve now look here will yer he began the rest of his remarks were lost in the hum of conversation and by well-bred transitions observations were made on the dancing and hunting prospects of the season mr adair took no interest in such subjects and to every one's relief he remained silent may and fred scully had withdrawn to a corner of the room where they could talk more at their ease captain hibbert was conscious of nothing but olive and her laughter which rippled and tinkled through an odor of coffee little by little she was gaining the attention of the room mr adair ceased to listen to lord dungary who was explaining why leonardo da vinci was a greater painter than titan mr lynch left off talking to alice the little blonde honorable looked sillier and sillier as his admiration grew upon him mrs barton to hide her emotion engaged in an ardent discussion concerning the rearing of calves with mrs gould lady sarah bit her lip and unable to endure her enemy's triumph any longer she said in her most mellifluous tone won't you sing us something captain hibbert well really lady sarah i should be very glad but i don't think you know i'm not sure i could manage without my music i shall be very glad to accompany you i think i know in the gloaming and i have heard you sing that olive at a sign from her mother entreated and when the gallant captain rolled from under the brown gold moustache the phrase oh my darling all strove not to look at her and when he dropped his voice to a whisper and sang of his aching heart a feeling prevailed that all were guilty of an indiscretion in listening to such an intimate avowal then he sang two songs more equally filled with reference to tears blighted love and the possibility of meeting in other years and olive hung down her head overcome by the fine sentiments which she felt were addressed to her meanwhile alice became aware that her sister was the object of all eyes and thoughts that she was gaining the triumph that men are agreed may be desired by women without impropriety alice was a healthy-bodied girl her blood flowed as warm as in her sister 
the men about her did not correspond with her ideal but this scarcely rendered the fact that they neglected her less bitter she asked lady sarah again if she might go upstairs and see cecilia she found the little cripple leaning over the banisters listening to the sound of voices oh my dear is it you i expected you to come to see me when you left the gentleman in the dining-room i couldn't come before dear said alice kissing her friend just as i was asking lady sarah the way to your room we heard them coming and how do you like the party which of the men do you think the nicest i did not care for any of them and oh that odious mr lynch cecilia's eyes flashed with a momentary gleam of satisfaction and spoke of a little excursion a walk to the brennans who lived two miles distant that she had been planning for the last few days End of chapter 6